0: Welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. On June the 30th, 1923, 50 Armenian orphans that later became known as the Georgetown Boys arrived in Canada through government support and the donations of ordinary Canadians. It was a unique event in Canadian history, an event commonly referred to as Canada's Noble Experiment. The Noble Experiment was Canada's first humanitarian act on an international scale. Canadians argued that since Armenians did not side with Turkey against the Allies, it was their obligation to support them. The Globe newspaper appealed to the public with emotionally charged headlines including Shall We Let Them Die? 40 more orphans would arrive the following year, and others would trickle in, eventually bringing the number of orphans to 110. Jack Apremian was one of those young refugees adopted by this country. He wrote about the experience years later. He wrote, "'It was the land of everybody's dreams "'where all the people were rich and and wore shoes and, "'and dressed in fine clothes and lived in large mansions.'" I was one of the lucky ones chosen, and this is how I came to Canada at the age of eight. A Pramian also describes their culture shock. We settled on the Cedarvale Farm, a 200-acre tract of orchard just outside Georgetown, 30 miles northwest of Toronto. We soon got used to the taste of such strange foods as cornflakes, oatmeal porridge, puddings, white bread, and apples grown right on our own farm. The boys were taught English, and gradually they were sent to apprentice with farmers in the district until they reached the age of majority. The few girls that were brought over as part of the initiative, well, they were adopted into various households as domestics. The boys left their sponsoring farms at the age of 18, free to pursue their dreams, and They were quickly confronted by the harsh realities of the Great Depression and discrimination in Canadian cities like Toronto, where 80% of the population was still of English ancestry. They would soon learn to adopt and to adapt to the culture and through the years, settle across the continent. In a final thank you to the community that helped them during those dark days of the genocide, members of the original group of orphans established a scholarship fund for the children of Georgetown that continues to fund the university education of many young people in that town till this day. One of the great words in the Bible is the word deliverance. In Psalm 91, three times God is presented as the deliverer who will deliver his people. In fact, deliverance may be the best, if not the most comprehensive, and it may be the most clarifying word to explain God's gracious, powerful work in our lives. I mean, biblically, it's a great word, and it's a great word in the English language. We all understand the word deliverance, in fact, the word has within it a certain tone of adventure. There's a certain drama in the word deliverance. I mean, even in English, we think of deliverance, and if you're asked a synonym, well, the immediate word that would come up would be something like rescued. So when we think of deliverance, we think of someone being rescued out of a situation of grave danger. And that is what the word does in fact mean. It connotes someone in a impossible dilemma from which they, they, they don't have personally the power to extract themselves and somehow they are being rescued by some greater power. And when we go to the Bible, well, that's exactly what we find in this word deliverance. It's a word filled with drama. It's a rich word. It's a word filled with adventure. Now, one of the great concepts in the Old Testament is this concept of deliverance. God, the deliverer, man, the delivered, and God is the one who then provides the plan of deliverance. Let's turn in our Bibles to the 68th Psalm, And verse 20, there in the 68th psalm, verse 20, we read the following. God is to us a God of deliverances. Notice that's plural. You see, there are many facets to God as our deliverer. The 40th psalm and verse 17 says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Now, in the familiar words of the 144th Psalm, uh, the first two verses, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Now, whenever in the Bible you come across the word saved or save or salvation or savior, you could substitute some form of the word deliver because that's exactly what is meant by it. True salvation then, the work of God, is the work of deliverance. It is the dramatic rescue of the sinner from the elements of life that threaten to destroy him or her. Therefore, the work of preaching is a work of rescue. We, on behalf of God, have been sent out to tell sinners that God has a rescue plan for us. God, who is by nature a deliverer, the only deliverer, has a deliverance plan By which he will deliver you and I from all those things that will condemn us. So, when we talk about conversion, when we talk about regeneration, when we talk about new birth or being born again or new life or transformation, when we talk about these things, well, what we're really talking about is being delivered. In fact, deliverance, as we shall see, really defines what it means to be a Christian. You see, a Christian is not only someone who says they believe in Jesus, a Christian is not only someone who prays, a Christian is not only a person who goes to church or belongs to some quote unquote Christian institution. A Christian is not someone who simply feels good about God or good about Jesus. A Christian is a person who has been delivered. And this is absolutely critical to understand because there's so much confusion today about who is a Christian. Who is a Christian? Well, the answer is Christians are people who have been delivered. You see, it's... It's an accounting of God by which he credits the righteousness to our account and puts our sin to the account of Christ who pays the penalty then for our sin. The only way we can know a Christian is by a transformed life. And so for you to assess who is a believer, you have to look and see if that person has, in fact, been delivered. Now, this is critical because if you look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter, tw- Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 22, here's what it says. Many are going to say to him in that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, you know we did this and that in your name, we prophesied in your name, We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, so there are people who are living deceived lives about their spiritual condition. They think they belong to the Lord, but they don't. They may believe in Jesus. They may believe certain things about him. They may function in some fashion in his name, but the fact of the matter is that they have never been delivered. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. See, it says, make sure you're a true Christian. Well, then what do you look for? You have to look and ask the question, have I been delivered? Because God is a deliverer who developed a plan of deliverance by which he delivers sinners from everything that dooms them. That's why Romans chapter 11 Verse 26 says, the Deliverer will come and he will remove ungodliness. You see, that's, that's deliverance. The Deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness. And, and later on in the same verse it says, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You see, there's going to be a deliverance here and it's going to be a deliverance that turns somebody from ungodliness to godliness, from sin to righteousness. That's real deliverance. You know, people ask me questions about the Bible and about issues in regard to Scripture all the time. And and many times I'm asked... Well, Bill, what do you think is the main problem facing the church today? Well, I always answer basically the same way. According to my my opinion, the main issue facing the church today is the lack of discernment. That's the main issue facing the, the church. The church doesn't distinguish between truth and falsehood. We have a defective immune system. It does not have the ability to fight error because it doesn't know the truth. It's like it doesn't have enough truth antibodies to fight off error. To put it bluntly, if I may, the church is ignorant. And it's blissfully ignorant. And consequently, the church is being victimized easily by error. This is a serious problem. Weak theology and a shallow, superficial knowledge of Scripture. And as we, all kinds of errors are flooding into the church and it's crippling our discernment. And what makes it worse is that there is a movement that says that the tolerance of all of this is the purest expression of Christian love. And if you call these people into question and you call what they're saying into question and you say this that you're speaking is not truth, it's error, then you're labeled as unloving, you're divisive, you're, you're striking a blow against the unity of the church. So as a result, you have all kinds of error flooding the church. The church is, by its theological and and, and biblical ignorance, unable today to fight that error. And tolerance is being elevated as a supreme virtue which aids and encourages the problem. This is in contradiction to the command found in 1 Thessalonians In chapter 5 and verse 21, here's what it says there. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. You see, again, this is my opinion. The church has gotten itself into a position where it can no longer distinguish between God's word and Satan's lies. And that's very sad. You see, from the time that God began to form a people for himself, Satan endeavored to intrude. And Satan has been trying to pollute and mix all the way down from the beginning of time down to the sowing the tares amongst the wheat. You see, we have to recover the identification of a true Christian. And that means, in my opinion, we have to get back to the doctrine of deliverance. Because you see if you understand the doctrine of deliverance then you have a criteria by which to understand who is a Christian. And we can't listen, we obviously we can't know someone's heart. We can't be sure about everyone. That's not within our capabilities. We can't always distinguish between the wheat And the tares. But it is true, even Jesus said, by their fruit you can know them. So so there's this marked demonstration in the life of a person as to whether or not they have actually been delivered. And such deliverance is the common experience for every believer. In Jesus Christ. You see, there is a dramatic change in their personal life, a change in their personal nature. And this change, well, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. They become new creations, they have been delivered from some very specific dangers into some very new patterns of behavior. John Wesley once said this, he said, In our days, to be a true Christian is really to become a scandal. You see, there was Wesley in the midst of the apostate church in England, there in the 18th century, a true Christian preaching a true gospel and being so scandalized, well, that it ultimately led to the persecution of the true Christians. It may have to be that way. But isn't it interesting that it was the church that persecuted the true believers? You know this, when, when, when the Europeans came and then the people came and they founded the United States of America, they came to North America for religious freedom. Why? Well, because they were being persecuted. In Europe, not by the secular world, they were being persecuted by the church, the apostate church. So how are we going to draw this line about who is a true Christian? Well, well, the simplest way I know how to do it, the biblical way to do it, is to realize that the true church is the living society of the delivered. This is manifested visibly in the life of a true Christian. You know, a businessman that was once known for ruthlessness once announced to Mark Twain, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and then I will climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. Well, I have a better idea, replied Twain. You could just stay here in Boston and keep the Ten Commandments. You know, Christianity Today ran an article not that long ago called the Ten Ways to Love Your Neighbor. Now, it said, I found this interesting, maybe not surprising, Studies show that 50% of apartment dwellers do not have any friends. All right, well, the pro- it can probably be said the same for those living in, in, in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood. There's a lot of lonely people out there. And as Christians, we're called to love them. So, so the article, it goes on to give 10 practical ways to love your neighbor. I, I thought they were great, and, you know, I, my wife and I have begun putting some of them in practice in our life already. Well, here are the ten. Number one, invite one neighbor over for dinner each month. Number two, if someone is new in town, well, invite them to join your plans for the weekend. Three, organize a walking group or a running club. Four, when someone tells you they have an upcoming job interview, a test, or a doctor's appointment, Mark it down in your calendar and follow up on the big day with a note of encouragement to let them know you're praying for them or or ask them how it went afterward. Better yet, maybe you could do both. Number five, if you see someone moving into your neighborhood, bring them dinner or cookies or basic supplies they might need before they unpack, like paper towels, toilet paper, hand soap. Six, invite your neighbor to friend you on Facebook. That's a great way to find common ground and and things to talk about the next time you see them. Number seven, you know, practice random acts of kindness. You know, take your neighbor's trash out or or put their trash cans away after it's been picked up or or mow their lawn or or shovel their driveway. Why? would just because. Eight, if you have children, well, invite a fellow parent to bring the kids over for a play date and get to know them over a cup of coffee. Nine, get outside the walls of your house. You'll meet neighbors as you walk the dog, as you take walks, as you work in your yard, you know, as you hang out at the neighborhood pool. Just, just, just don't just wave, but, but be intentional about saying hello and, and getting to know your neighbors. And finally, number 10, Organize a neighborhood get-together so that your neighbors can meet each other. You know, here's one thing I know. You can't love your neighbor if you live life in an overscheduled life. You know, the key is leaving margin in your life so that when the opportunity to love your neighbor arises, You have some time available. And you know, it's interesting that sometimes it's the small gestures that make the biggest impact. Give it a try and email me. Let me know how it worked out. You know, Luther once said, the life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. He says, it's one thing to say, Christ is a Savior. It's quite another thing to say, He is my Savior and my Lord. The devil, he said, can say the first. The true Christian alone can say the second. So let me ask you, is Jesus Christ today your Savior and Lord of your life? If you have not asked Him to come into your life Why not do that right now? If you already know Jesus as your Savior, why not renew your commitment to Him right now? The gift of deliverance is being freely offered today, right now. And I pray that you will accept it. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father thank you so much for delivering us out of darkness into your marvelous light. I pray for those that at this very moment are giving their lives over to Jesus Christ just receive them embrace them love them guide them and protect them and to those that today are recommitting their lives we thank you for everything they have done may they remain faithful to you until the end. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that point in our program where we have our free gift. We offer every week a special gift, and today we have this little booklet here. It's uh, called Experiencing God's Love. If you'd like to receive this as a gift from Lessons for Living Television, there's no obligation on your part whatsoever. It'll arrive in the mail, postage paid. If you'd like to get it, well, just pay attention to the information you're going to hear because that's how you can request it
1: to receive today's free offer you can log on to the lessons for living television website www.l4ltv.com that's the lessons for living television website www.l4ltv.com there you will find the links to download a video and transcript of this program you can also write us at post office box 27030 simcoe conlin post office oshawa ontario l1g 0-A-3. and we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers AT 1-800-972-0337. one 972 337 OPERATORS ARE STANDING BY NOW. WHILE ON OUR WEBSITE YOU CAN LEAVE A PRAYER REQUEST, AND IF IMPRESSED TO DO SO, DONATE TO HELP KEEP THIS MINISTRY ON THE AIR. THANK YOU FOR YOUR SUPPORT.
0: WELL, WE'VE COME TO THE END OF ANOTHER LESSONS FOR LIVING TELEVISION PROGRAM. Let me thank you again for joining us, and let me thank you for inviting friends and family to tune in each and every week. Just before we go, a couple of things I want to remind you of. Uh, One of them is our website at L4LTV.com. You know, all of the programs are on the website, all of the previous ones, the current one. If you'd like to request the gift, you can do it online, just as you heard the announcer say. Um, you can also see on the website where I may be appearing uh, over the next number of weeks. You can also on the website make a donation to help keep this ministry on the air. Um, follow me on Instagram at Santos underscore Bill. Every day we have a one-minute devotional video that goes out on Instagram. Like our Facebook page. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And also visit our MissionNowCanada.com website, which is the humanitarian part of our ministry that goes overseas and does all kinds of interesting work overseas. You can subscribe to our newsletter on that site and you can find out when our next trip overseas will take place. Well, they're telling me we're all out of time. Thank you again for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful week. and We hope to be back here again real soon. God bless you. We'll see you back then.